0: Welcome to episode 70 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to ever put both of its hosts in the finals of a single PPTQ <laughs> at East Coast Games. <laughs> or Cape Fear Games. K-Fear Games at Cape Fear Games. Just on the East Coast. Yes. Yeah. Right. I always for some reason in my head that always happens to me. Anyways, the spikiest podcast to ever put both of its co- <laughs> both of its hosts <laughs> into the finals of a single PPTQ at Cape Fear Games. <laughs> Boom. Collins, how's it going? <laughs> I'm pretty good. How you doing? Not bad. How was your weekend? Excellent. Kind of spent the whole thing together, so I'm glad that, that you found it nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. For, for everybody listening who's a little, hasn't caught up entirely, we, Chris and I drove down to Wilmington last weekend to play in a PPTQ, just kind of, you know, neither of us were going to Vegas, so we figured we might play in a local-ish event here. And the other good news is that I have family who lives in Wilmington, so we were able to hang out with them after the tournament. But essentially, uh, I don't know how how many spoilers I want to throw out, but (laughs) Chris and I effectively played in the finals of this PTQ, or PPTQ, and I was victorious, so I was able to get the invite. Overall, it was a, you know, crazy fun weekend.
0: It was a great weekend.
1: Yeah. It started with me running out of gas, (laughs) but then the rest of the weekend really just was gas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well... Yeah, we we definitely needed a lot of gasoline for this weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, I, <laughs> the the whole the whole weekend started with so we were are driving like effectively two hours away to this tournament, and we get about twelve minutes from the store that we're trying to get to for this tournament, and uh, it's myself Lee McLeod and CCR in in CCR's car, and we're about twelve minutes away from the from the event that we need to get to. And we run out of gas. We just like can't go any further. <laughs> I, I will, one hundred percent my fault. Yeah, we we just weren't paying attention. I guess you know it happens. So we're just like it, the the tournament starts at eleven a.m. and it's about ten oh five right now when we run out of gas. And we're like, well, <laughs> what are we gonna do to to make it? You know, the next couple of minutes down the road. So luckily, my roommate was also in Wilmington already. So I called Jeremy and I said, Hey, here's the situation. We're on mile marker four eighteen on (laughs) forty, pretty close to the tournament we need to get to. Can you help us out? And he he, you know, wakes up, goes and gets us a gas can and fills it up and brings it over to us. And we're able to fill up and the rest is history. Yep. But what a crazy start to the weekend. Especially because you still had to order a couple of cards. Yeah, from yeah. Cape, Cape Fear to, to get your deck together. Right. Yeah, as soon as I got off the phone from Jeremy, I pulled up the the store uh, website on my phone and just started like punching in the cards that i'm gonna need <laughs> um just to make sure that we you know got everything sorted and sure enough we were able to do it i yep. played e- effectively andrew L. Mogan's pro tour winning list mm-hmm. i changed the sideboard a little bit but the main deck was the same it was just red white aggro with the stubborn sentries just you know a bunch of one drops and everything so yep and venerated loxodons I guess as a one of the slightly controversial, like, yeah, is yeah, this top end good choices. For sure. and I I think that Venerated Lockstone just belongs in that deck. I think that the the idea of playing more one drops and like less two drops to maximize your potential for being able to cast things for free the turn that you're playing a Convoke spell <laughs> is really strong. So I like that a lot. If I'm changing it up moving forward, I think I'm I might even start to try to move the aurelias to the main deck mm-hmm. and add in more of them for this for this tournament I played one aurelia in the 70 or in the in the sideboard and it was insane yeah every time it just lines up perfectly against so many things yeah. five toughness is a huge breakpoint in this like lava coil based format. yeah yeah for sure so I I don't mind a little bit of more of those but overall I was super happy with the list yeah Cool. Yeah, I mean, the
0: Luxon, I, I just feel like in that deck, there's a lot of times, most games there will be one turn where you like look at the board and you're like, I don't really have good attacks this turn. And then <laughs> and it's usually because your opponent is really working to be like, okay, like... Yeah, phew,
1: gotta stabilize.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and like, I mean, I've seen this mostly from the other side where I've gotten it, I've been like, okay... I don't think that they have good attacks this turn. I can breathe for a minute. But then the the Loxodon comes down and says, that's fine. Like, we don't have to attack this turn. We can just apply extra pressure and end mm-hmm. it. Like, it, it just usually is a big problem. So, you know, that's just one of my takeaways from playing against the deck a lot. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense for sure. I guess before we get too into just standard in general, we should do our preliminaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Easy to get carried away. Thanking our new patrons, Andrew, Jay, Nicholas, Justin, and Mark. One or two of those might have said before, but, you know, we can we can shout people out an extra time. I don't think that, that hurts anybody. Sure. And, uh, Jay Carter, we see you.
1: <laughs> What's up, Jay?
0: All right, so our Keeper Mall that we're starting with is a slightly painful one for me. So this is... <laughs> Yeah, This is my Game 3 on the play hand against one Collins Mullen in <laughs> what, is effect- what
1: was effectively the finals of the PPTQ. I guess we didn't
0: really tell that part of the story. Oh, yeah.
1: We ended up splitting top four, and Chris and I were paired in the semifinals, effectively. But both of the other top four competitors who were paired against each other didn't care about the invite. Once we split, they were they had gotten what they came for. So they both decided to drop from the event and, and allow Chris and I's match to effectively decide who got the qualification. Yep. So we've been calling it the finals, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. We, it was finals in quotes. <laughs> slightly
0: unearned, but we got there. Yeah. So we we made it to game three, and I'm on the play here, and my seven is Steam Vents, Three Islands, Crackling Drake, Charted Course, Radical Idea. I'm playing Phoenix, in case that wasn't obvious. I'm playing yeah. No Enigma Drakes. I'm playing Electromancers, uh, and I'll talk about those that that choice in mm-hmm. in the exact list that i played but for now this is the hand one one dual land three islands a crackling drake and two cantrips a chart of course and a radical idea yeah so i i mean just to spoil things i mulliganed this hand and my idea was basically like this hand was just not quite there in a few different categories Um, I'm not super concerned about the no double red for Crackling Drake because by turn four, I'm seeing six cards. But, you know, that's that's certainly part of it is I'm not guaranteed to cast the Crackling Drake on turn four if my draws just line up really, really badly for that. But also just like the no removal at all in the opening hand and I just have to cast multiple cantrips to get anything going on Mm -hmm. that I actively want to do. And it could even line up so like I chart a course, don't see anything, turn three, then I radical idea, and now I see a lava coil is my only removal spell and now I can't cast it. yeah I I just felt like things had to go pretty nicely. Just having that like really early removal spell to get one attacker off the board and save like six six-ish life is so important in this matchup mm-hmm. that to me, this seven just didn't feel quite. Like it had the the plan going on, and especially because the four drop was crackling Drake and not murmuring Mystic, I, I thought that it was more likely that I'd get a six that was getting something going that I was happy to be doing than than hope like try to mise into something with this first try to course on turn two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, with this hand, you were on the. I was on the play. play, right? Like this is a cl- yeah. clear
0: mulligan on the draw, mm-hmm. and on the play, it's a little bit closer. I think.
1: Yeah. It's just so likely that with this hand, I think you're about like seventy percent to not make any plays that impact the board until turn three, mm-hmm. and you don't even have those plays. You're you'd be looking for them with your charter course, yeah. right? And so you're not guaranteed to be able to interact even on turn three. Yeah, I mean, I think this. I, yeah, I think this hand is is assuming that it's not doing anything to interact on turn
0: two. Yeah, like yeah, you know, I have. Eight removal spells that I could draw with my one draw step that would allow me. I yeah, mean, playing a, playing a, an Electromancer in turn two would have been, would be great if that were the sure. card. But yeah,
1: yeah, odds of this happening are not super high. Yeah, for sure. So you know, given given that context, the uh, I think that it definitely is Mulligan, and be, because just the way that the matchup plays out, I'm going to be rushing onto the board as fast as possible, pretty mm-hmm. much every game. Right. Just because I I know that the uh, the early turns are when I get to strive. You know, that's when I get to really curve out and do my thing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, hopefully you're on a hand like this where you're just like, you know, trying to cantrip and then set something up for later. Yeah, setting something up for later is just not going to get there against this white aggressive deck. It's just too fast, too punishing. Under the scenario where you like have a removal spell on turn three and then get to play your crackling drake on turn four, I think that just loses to my average draw. I think so yeah. too. Yeah.
0: If this crackling drake were a murmuring mystic then I at least would feel like yeah.
1: I have a plan
0: here. And like if I were to draw a removal spell in my first four cards, then it would be going somewhere. Yeah. Um, with the hand as it is, like I think I need to draw a removal spell and a murmuring mystic, or a removal spell and an entrancing melody or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it just did not feel likely to get there. Yep um close though and definitely you know it's a functional hand which is I'd why Snapkeep
1: keep on in the dark mm-hmm. of course yeah, yeah you'd be super excited to see a hand like this
0: and especially because i knew your list i knew that you were not on a johnny's pride mates so i don't get to like buy back tempo by like <laughs> oh i you know I, I drew a shock off of this charter course and now i get to use a one like you didn't have any two mana guys that i could use a one mana removal spell on yeah 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 uh like you're
1: just on 18 one drops or something like that yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So And only the only the Daunt of Vanguards is the two drops. Right, which are unshockable. <laughs> unshockable. I mean you can, you know, but it's yeah. kinda like foreign me. It doesn't doesn't really work out here, yeah. I'm yeah. not looking for a lava spike with spell power. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so I'm to a pretty bad six that I like probably should have tossed back but i could like it had a route to victory it had an entrancing melody in it Mm -hmm. that uh like it had an entrancing melody and a removal spell but was a one land hand was just an island yeah but all it needed were lands to start getting going from there not a great hand maybe should have been a mulligan but uh five is pretty bad in a bad matchup so i i was willing to say i need to
1: get a little bit lucky here
0: yeah at that point
1: yeah there there was this kind of interesting decision that i had to make in that game where mm-hmm. my two one drops were legion's landing and snowboard sentry
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i and you were on the play yeah so i knew that if you led with mountain pass mm-hmm. i was gonna play the snowboard sentry because right. i didn't want you to be able to use your turn one to shock something but you let an island go so i was like i was like okay now i get to pick and i'm probably just gonna play this legion's landing because it can attack for damage next turn mm-hmm. And then you untapped and played a second island and entrancing Melodied my one one and I was like oh <laughs> punished <laughs> punished anyways probably maybe should have just led the uh, the snowborn sentry out anyways but it was kind of like this this weird scenario where I was like thinking about what I was gonna play around and then like. You didn't have the mountain, so I didn't do it, but ended up getting punched anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the rest, of, the rest of that game was not very interesting, unfortunately. You just didn't make another land drop after your two islands, right. and the game ended. But Which is
0: too kind of too bad. Our first two games were like
1: very interesting and yeah. lots of decision points there. Yeah, yeah, I agree, uh, for sure. I think it was a good good match, except for that last game.
0: Yeah. So. And actually, in our our second game, like I was just digging for something relevant to help me survive the turn, and I finally found an entrancing melody. But I would have to shock to cast it, which left me like I, I'd have to put into play an untapped steam vents when I was at three, and oh, so I could yeah. steal your guy, and then I would just die immediately. So. <laughs>
1: Bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the power of the this this uh, effectively mono white deck. Right? Mm-hmm. It's super punishing, and if you ever stumble, you're against it, you're just gonna be toast. Yeah,
0: I mean it, it really puts you in a corner where like most of your plays that would be good get get very punished i mean my two losses at that pptq were to jeremy henry on Mm -hmm. the pride mate version of the deck but still pretty similar and and to you in the you know quote unquote finals (laughs) yeah um i mean just to you know we're gonna get into all the like real tournaments that happened this weekend but just to like (laughs) talk about what we were thinking about when we made our deck choices going in i played and lee also played basically the same deck that i did yeah so last week, I think, and I, like, I just want to make sure to make it clear that I think I gave everybody some bad information on how to build this deck. Oh, yeah. Uh, after trying the Enigma Drake version, yeah. I don't like it very much. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like a, a an assumption-based version of trying to buy your way back into the creature matchups. Like, okay, I've got these, like, three mana guys that can block a turn earlier than my other guys. And, it, like, Enigma Drake is okay, and it's nice to have a thing that affects the board for three mana, but what you're giving up there is just too much. I don't think it is actually better than just having Electromancers in the creature matchups. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there are versions with both, but then you run into like serious problems with having enough spells in your yeah, deck.
1: spell count becomes a problem.
0: Um, and the like turn to Electromancer, go against the aggressive deck, even if they have removal spells, like they have a pretty serious decision to make at that point and it can cause them problems. And if it's the mono white deck, you know, especially like game one, if you just untap with that Electromancer, you just have so many more options. And I think the raw power of being able to do the stuff that Electromancer allows you to do outweighs the like slightly cheaper Drake package. And it also works really, really well with murmuring mystic and which is one of your best cards in that sort of matchup. Yeah. Um, so I and I think most players are kind of catching on to this at, at this point that that the Electro Master version is just kind of stronger mm-hmm. uh, in general, just a stronger deck and is not actually giving up ground against the aggressive decks in the way that I kind of thought that it might be. Yeah. Um. You know, the the list that I mostly copied is one that like BBD posted on on Twitter, and a lot of people are running similar things, kind of similar. To the Pascal Viren version, but cutting some of the, like, Mari Conjecture, Blink of an Eye shenanigans uh, in in favor of Entrancing Melodies because I expected to play against Mono White at least once or twice Uh, didn't really work out, but... (laughs) (laughs) yeah, uh, and, And I don't know if I would run the main deck Entrancing Melodies in the future just because it's so bad against like teferi decks and and things like that but uh it it was interesting and it was fun and the deck just has a lot of raw power to it so you know i i think like four times electromancer going
1: forward is very likely to be what i would choose so yeah yeah that makes sense it it kind of just feels like a combo piece of the deck Mm -hmm. where some turns you just like play it and that unlocks the ability to cast even more spells than you would have been able to otherwise yep. and it's so it's like not something that you need to slam on turn two and, and hope stick you know it has utility later on as well right and because that is true then yeah i'm, I'm back on board right and, and the turn of like
0: three on three mana like electromancer lava coil in one turn is like a pretty solid temp like you're putting a real threat into play casting a, a good removal spell and that that's a turn that like turned around a lot of games yeah so. yeah yeah for sure so what made you choose specifically the version of White Weenie that you chose?
1: Well, it was kind of the the list that had it was the list that I believed was the best built. Mm-hmm. Um I think that if you're playing these white strategies, you you're definitely more incentivized to play significantly more one drops and not really mess around with any of the non-vanguard two drops, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think that you want to just be primarily a one drop. You you want to maximize your chances of one drop into one drop, one drop into powerful card after that it could either be you know any of the three drops fit the bill and also walks it on counts as something you can play those curves you just you just don't lose with those curves unless your opponent has like some very specific sweeper effect or something like that Mm -hmm. so maximizing that and then also just like if you're considering playing other two drops in this deck that could just as easily be a a two one for one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that you're definitely more incentivized to do the two one for one, just because if you draw the card later on when you're trying to cast one of your convoke spells, then you you'd much rather this like dorky creature be yeah know, something that you can cast effectively for free instead of having to you know mm-hmm. pay two mana for that and then use it to convoke. So that's I think that was the reason I picked this particular version. And then the the reason I wanted to just play the archetype, despite it being a little more hated, was because I've kind of been thinking this in the back of my head for a long time now, but I'm like recently I've really seen it in action where I just think that these like low to the ground aggressive decks that are very consistent are just kind of like fundamentally more powerful than mm-hmm. anything else that anybody's <laughs> doing in standard right now, kind of like looking at the way that the magic games play out you know of course there are decks that exist that have a much stronger late game you know and and people's strategies are like oriented differently with these different decks and everything so you know i think niv mizzet like the four of niv mizzet deck is clearly like the best most powerful late game deck but fundamentally in magic though you a bunch of things need to go right in order for you to be able to set up your winning scenarios Mm -hmm. with those other decks you need to have to check out a bunch, a bunch of boxes. You need to be making your land drops. You need to be having the specific answers that you have to your whatever your opponent is presenting. Mm-hmm. If you're an answers type of strategy. So all these things need to go right in order for you to enter into your winning scenario with these decks. But being able to be the deck that is playing a bunch of 1-mana creatures the only thing that needs to go right for you to be able to cast a one-mana creature is for you to draw that creature and the land. <laughs> it's just so, you know, it's so much more consistent in that context, right? Yeah, um, I mean,
0: you do need to be doing something to leverage, because if your deck was, you know, 41 mana creatures and 20 planes or whatever, like, that wouldn't do... You need to have a oh, Of course, thing.
1: Yeah, the, the, the archetype would not be able to function without these very powerful... Bigger cards mm-hmm. such as Hiss or Benalia, Benalish Marshall, Lockstone. Yeah. If those cards don't exist, then One Drops deck, of course, you know, it's not going to be able to function. Right. But because we have kind of both, we have this, you know, ability to be super consistent by playing a bunch of one mana creatures.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Consistency in Magic is, you know, the cheaper your spells, the more consistent your deck is. That's yeah. just a fundamental part of Magic. So uh, I just wanted to play a deck that didn't have as many like lose to myself scenarios if that makes sense so i i've kind of always leaned towards those decks but i've been like working on like putting that thought into words (laughs) lately i guess (laughs) i've just been noticing how you know even though and you know it happened at the tournament where even though you know people were gunning towards this mono white deck Mm -hmm. they were playing a lot of cards that were supposed to beat it like their super effects and all sorts of stuff You know, people were playing Golden Demises and, you know, Ritual Soots and Goblin Chain Whirler. I played against all those cards. (laughs) But sometimes they stumbled and didn't find a second black source. And then as a result, they died. And, you know, but that's just never really something that the mono-white deck is going to come across. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess that's just a long way of saying that. I think that generally these aggressive decks, I think, are just kind of fundamentally more consistent than the other things that people are trying to do in Standard. So i'm gonna i'm gonna lean towards those
0: yeah i mean that makes sense to me a lot of the ways to fight back against the white deck that people are doing are not super effective Mm -hmm. um you know the sort of first instinct in playing a deck like drake's that that i tried and other people have tried is you know put fiery in. yeah 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 and I think we all like pretty quickly reach the same conclusion, which is just that Fiery Cannonade isn't very good against the deck. <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't right. it doesn't kill a Dante at Vanguard. If there's a Benelish Marshal in play, it doesn't kill the knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff that it doesn't kill after, like lock, between Locksdown and and Benalish Marshall Like, it doesn't kill the boards that are really dangerous to you. Yeah. The temptation to like get the second Knight off of History of Benalia is like really there, and like one of the reasons that the card should be good. But then you might just walk into uh, Pride of the Conquerors or something, and there's yeah. just a lot of ways that this card doesn't get there. And even if all it is is like it leaves the Venerated Loxan on in play after you spent three mana of your four so you spend a whole turn casting the spell and then you take a hit for four right like, <laughs> yeah it's just not, it's just not doing that much right so uh i i was not happy with it and tried to go with a different strategy that still does not make the matchup favorable mm-hmm. but is is i think more effective than like really hoping that that fire cannonade is going to work out especially in this deck where i really want an electromancer in play right slight side note the other card like commonly played sweeper thing that i do not like in drakes is star of extinction i think
1: oh yeah okay
0: i think star is great in the sideboard of jeskai i think mm-hmm. it's great against Golgari in that deck yeah but that deck kind of wants to make every land drop up to seven plus mana anyways and in a deck like <laughs> this that is filled with cantrips yeah you can choose to make your land drops uh-huh. but you don't really want to you rather don't them to be spells yeah yeah you, you want to be at about five mana and then if the game's going to go a whole bunch more turns then you can you know make some more but in the middle of the game you really want to be discarding those extra lands and i have found myself like okay my plan is star of extinction now i'm gonna chart a course and discard all of these non-land cards right. and then i cast star of extinction and i'm like all right well what I resources have, do i have left I have oh they're all left and yeah. my opponent just drew a jade light ranger right. and... <laughs> yeah that that is a a plan that i yeah. i have not been a fan of i think it's better if you're running a version with morari conjecture so you can like get resources back then it makes more sense but if you are not on a morari conjecture version then it doesn't it, 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 i haven't been very happy with it
1: yeah that makes sense not to mention the fact that i think that from the is it drake's perspective you have so many better plans specifically against Golgari. Mm-hmm. you know you're just like normal play a bunch of flyers and beat down plan i think is very effective and is going to kill them most of the time right so you know don't bother with a card like starve extinction
0: yeah yeah i mean it, while post board games slow down just like they do in like every matchup in magic's history <laughs> yeah the the most effective plan for dealing with carnage tyrant is like Yes, you can cast your Carnage Tyrant, but then you're going to take another 6 off of the Phoenixes, so that's not a good plan. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really want my game plan to be like, "Please cast a Carnage Tyrant so that I can starve extinction it." Yeah. That that's not that that I think is a great game plan with Jeskai. It's not what I want to be doing with this deck. Yeah. Speaking of
1: Jeskai, yeah, well, yeah, we should probably talk about uh, the Grand Prix and yeah. some of the turn the the decks that came out of it. Yeah, so there were a few things going on this weekend. Uh,
0: GP Milwaukee, just a full full on standard tournament, first like big standard tournament after the Pro Tour. Um, there's also a team open standard classic and a standard PTQ. But uh, Milwaukee definitely is the thing that like got the most attention, and I think one of the reasons to pay a lot of attention was the winning deck list. Yeah. <laughs> so Adrian Sullivan, been around forever, excellent deck builder, and this this is quite a deck.
1: Yes. You, you oops, wanted... o- oops all wincon is yeah. what you've is what you've labeled it in our notes. And I, I don't think know that's what else. <laughs> I don't know what
0: else to call it. Like tell me about this deck. You, like I've been talking so.
1: Yeah. So essentially, you know, Jeskai control. It's an archetype that we're pretty familiar with this at this point. Mm-hmm. But it seems like all the Jeskai control builds that we've seen have all been um, either like mono win wincon lists, um, and we've seen that before. It's just like you know the deck is for Teferi's and all interactive spells. And that can just win because is busted. Yep, Terrible card design. <laughs> yeah. Uh, teferi just, you know, you don't need anything else in your deck. Teferi's just going to win. So that's, you know, that's kind of like what we've been seeing for a while now. And then we've started seeing people transitioning into playing Crackling Drakes in their, in their Jeskai control list because it's a good answer for Carnage Tyrant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's just a threat that kills your opponent. So that's all nice. But, yeah, Adrian Sullivan definitely took that concept of, like, Maybe maybe these cards that are like win cons are just busted. Specifically, Niv Mizzet. I think he made the call that Niv Mizzet was pretty broken, and if you could resolve a Niv Mizzet and keep it in play, you're guaranteed to win, which I think is pretty close to true. We've said that a yeah. lot on this podcast. If you yeah. untap with Niv Mizzet, you're gonna win. Yeah, you're you're just gonna win. So they they call this deck just guy control because it it pretty much is a control deck it's playing counter spells removal spells settle the wreckage stuff like that but it's playing four niv-mizzet and it has two dive downs as well to kind of like you know combo with Mm niv-mizzet because the games play out very very often where you play niv-mizzet and your opponent has their one answer for it and they cast that one answer and and they cross their fingers that you don't have to dive down because every time my opponent has a niv-mizzet out i'm just like man if he has a dive down lou here i just lose yep he, it's just over they, they draw two right. cards and get a shock right here <laughs> yeah, right yeah. and
0: then they have a niv-mizzet on their turn
1: yeah so so he's just kind of going all in on just like trying to resolve his niv-mizzet and keep it in play um and the key here is not just the four niv-mizzets like yeah. four
0: niv-mizzets is, like, one or two more than what a lot of just guy decks have been playing. But he actually made Niv-Mizzet good in this deck, Mm -hmm. and that's by running four treasure maps. Uh, Yeah. Like, it is a colorless ramp card, and this deck makes really, really good use out of... If if you've got cards, it gives you mana. Mm -hmm. If you've got enough mana, it gives you cards. And just funneling them into... You need one good turn, which is Niv-Mizzet with something backing it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's it and treasure map is the perfect card to enable that Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean it just lets you you know cast your visit maybe even fixes your mana in order to allow you to do so Mm -hmm. and then you know hold up an ionize even the same turn you know depending on how late the game is it's
0: not it doesn't need Um, to be that late that happens on like turn six no that happens (laughs) on like turn like if you if you go turn two play the map like turn three turn four turn five scry flip like turn six you have seven lands in play and three treasures like counting the treasure map like you just have a ton of mana at that point
1: yeah super crazy yeah so so yeah i mean the uh, you know the concept clearly worked for him he Mm -hmm. won the tournament his the finals match was not close not not at Uh, all like (laughs) like
0: his opponent played carnage tyrant like four times in game three and at no point was it like This is probably, there's a real good chance
1: this ends the game. It was just like, which way is Adrian going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the game ended where, like, Adrian just, like, had a Nimbus it out, and he, like, passes the turn, and he's, like, ready to deal with the next Carnage Tyrant, and his opponent plays the Carnage Tyrant and passes the turn, and then Adrian looks at his hand, and he's like, oh, actually, you're just, like, very dead here. (laughs) Because he explosions his opponent for, like, six and then draws six more cards and yep. deals six more damage and attacks with this is for lethal. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how uh, how quickly Niv-Mizzet just like ends the game. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, the the it, like it's almost a
0: combo deck in his execution there. Just mm-hmm. if you untap with Niv-Mizzet, not only are you just going to win any long game, but you might just win the game on the spot with explosion. Right. So super super cool deck and I mean, if we look down at the deck list, so this GP, uh, 12 Jeskai decks in the top 32, if we're we're counting this one, which, I mean, it is a Jeskai deck. I just wouldn't, probably wouldn't call it Jeskai control. Yeah. 12 in the top 32, like, that's a lot. And they pretty much all had creatures in it. Yeah. Uh, A a lot of them just, like, the three Crackling Drake package, but some, uh, like, a a fair percentage with a a few Niv-Mizzets. I don't love that. I don't love the Niv-Mizzet just in the Jeskai deck. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think it's, number one, as a response to uh, like an uptick in the Phoenix decks, because Niv-Mizzet is a great card against the Phoenix decks. It's, yeah. it's a, it can't stay in play, obviously. <laughs> right. um, and it also is sort of like an arms race in the mirror. But if you're not set up to protect your Niv, is it? Like what a liability against the mm-hmm. Chupacabra
1: Vivian Reed Yeah, Stepping out for six mana on you know, just like crossing your fingers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not not a plan that you want to be under.
0: Right. Even if even if it is like Raska's contempt, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you draw a card and you get a ping, but you're probably getting beaten down at that point. Right. And it's not not gonna go super well for you. So I, I, I I just really think this is i don't know maybe i just like it because it's so elegant like i've got my niv-mizzets because my deck is built around niv-mizzet but especially with some of these non-treasure map niv-mizzet decks with like three niv-mizzets in them yeah like, i don't even know how you cast this spell in this deck that consistently it's just you know like this this third place deck has two niv-mizzets and it's got a settle the wreckage and it's got four sinister sabotage and it's got like two Lyra's in the sideboard and it's just like how how are we making this work? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Sounds pretty tough. You know, it's just it's it's a deck without a it's 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 it could have a better coherent plan involved. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm all about building your decks with a coherent plan, you know, in mind. Mm-hmm. Um and and Adrian Sullivan's deck clearly has a very coherent plan in mind. Yep. Which, you know, that seems much better than the other decks that I've seen, which look like the deck builder has just believes that the plan is control in quotes and and whatever vague term, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever vague thing that means. And then they're just trying to play like throw good control cards in there without really thinking about how they work together and what, you know, how the games are going to play out very, very clearly. So, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm definitely in for for this version. Yeah, I may
0: or may not have it in a box in my bag right now. Oh, boy, ready to be played <laughs> at Standard Showdown tonight. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll report back. You know, right now, these are my impressions from watching it where mm-hmm. it looked very dominant and yeah. just like appreciation as a deck builder. Right, right, right. Um, but definitely we'll come back with... You know, I one of the things that I wanted to do every time I picked up my sideboard uh, with the, the Phoenix deck is... You know, I every matchup, I would think, do I just bring in Niv-Mizzets here? Like, yeah, certainly, right, yeah. certainly in the mirror. Yeah. Certainly against control decks. Right. Certainly against mono-blue tempo. Yeah. But past that, I pretty much didn't bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, against, you know, against, like, the white deck. Like, it, it's not only very slow, but uh, if they have a Conclave Tribunal, like, that's a huge, huge disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's a very real plan, even against the very aggressive decks. Especially if you are using your mana most turns on removal spell and then getting ahead on mana with a treasure map and then putting this thing into play. Like I want to have Niv Mizzet in play against the deck with a bunch of one toughness creatures. uh It's just like my deck wasn't really set up to take advantage of that. Probably need to stop gushing about how much I love the idea of this deck, <laughs> but it just like does a lot of like it it took a lot of thoughts i'd been having and just took them to the next step and said all right we're just
1: going to do it mm-hmm. so yeah i mean absolutely the um the yeah i mean the plan as long as you can make sure that the turn that you're slamming the visit you're slamming it in a board that is like under relative parity or it creates relative parity mm-hmm. then i think that you're in a pretty good spot yep. so um so yeah
0: yeah golgari also did very well so the the gp top 32 was pretty uh, kind of a story of two decks here and they're very different decks from what we really saw heavily at the pt i mean 12 Jeskai decks and eight golgari decks in the top 32 yeah
1: i mean that's a lot i mean people were talking about how the the pt like top four was not at all representative of the meta sure um so i think that we're kind of just like seeing the other the other parts of the meta here the golgari decks have been tuned to the metagame as we know it right now and as a result they're having success so yeah i mean Golgari is definitely a, a color combination that has the tools to compete, you know, as long as they know what the metagame looks like. So I'm not surprised to see that happen. But, you know, if if somebody tried to play one of the Pro Tour Golgari lists like, you know, just copied mm-hmm. at this Grand Prix, I'm I'm sure they they had a rough time. But I think that the these new Golgari lists that are definitely more tuned are, are gonna have a lot of success.
0: So um, what are so what what do you think is the right place to be on Golgari now. Like, my... I feel like Wild Growth Walker is just incredibly important at the yeah, moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I do think that you want to be focusing on Wild Growth Walker, and I think that the... uh, It's kind of hard to pin down exactly what makes the decks better now, because I think it's just a combination of a lot of stuff. You need to know what haymakers you want to be running in your main deck whether or not it's Vraska or Carnage Tyrant it seems like Carnage Tyrant is has been the answer for a while now mm-hmm. in addition like the sideboard slots that you have access to you know people really need to make sure that they're focusing on being able to beat them on a white deck you know compete with you know the graveyard shenanigans that people are doing so I really like the Death Gourd Scavenger yep I got that that card name all on my own. I yeah, didn't need any help. I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm, don't, I'm not <laughs> even going to cut anything out of, of the podcast for it. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what's making those decks good, but I think it's a combination of a lot of good card choices that mm-hmm. add up to making them be able to compete better.
0: Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's just a, a matter of the deck list being refined. Like, mm-hmm. we're getting to a point where a lot of these are looking very similar to each other. Yeah. Uh, it's... We've, we've kind of you know there was a point where people started putting druid of the cowl in there because the idea was i want extra three toughness guys to cast this finality uh because sure. it's really important that's really not what people are about right now because mm-hmm. I, I think we're trying to maximize wild growth walkers more uh and the you know the, it's just like too much mana between that and lanoir elves you don't have places to put it as, as often um It seems like a very two to three Carnage Tyrant is a default choice, and then one or two Doom Whisperers, Vivian Reed is really important. Like, that's the package you start with, and you can slightly deviate from it, but we kind of know what are the good cards where we want to be to start out with.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
0: And uh, I, I think it also is very important right now to be running a few targeted removal spells that are not Ravenous Chupacabra. So a couple of cast downs, a couple of Fraska's
1: Contempts. Uh, most of these lists have some yeah, some assemblage of those. Make sure that you have enough answers for the Honor Guard, essentially. Yeah, basically. Yeah. As long as they have the, all of their boxes checked, I think that they, they can definitely function. But um, I'm still personally not a huge fan of those decks, just because... I don't know what it is but the fail rate of that deck seems extraordinarily high and that's probably due to my own personal small sample size that I've seen over the past couple of mm-hmm. you know of days but every time I see that deck they're like stuck on one black source or <laughs> uh, or they're not drawing enough lands or or whatever it's really incredible how just like one taotli honor guard can butcher. Yeah. That deck's ability to make their land drops right. Um, they're yeah they're leaning so hard on all of their explore creatures to just like be able to get up to six mana to cast their big spells. The number of times that I've like cast a Kali Honor guard against them, and then they just like were stuck on four mana for forever with mm-hmm. like one black source or something was really high. And I think that if they're leaning on their, you know, explore creatures to be able to get there on their mana base, something is fundamentally wrong about yep the way they've built their deck well
0: only because kind of, of only the existence
1: yeah. of right. right for sure it, it is you know it's not it's not a, a very usual thing where like a fundamental part of your deck gets shut off especially in standard we don't normally see hate cards like that right um <laughs> it is very
0: brutal yeah like, oh yeah not only does it say you can't explore it mm. also says you can't gain life off of your wild growth walker you can't pump your wild growth walker and it also says, like, I'm a 1-3 body, so I'm just bigger than all of your Explorer guys if, you choose, if you're, if you like, forced into casting them naked. Like, yeah, th- these two ones and one twos, there's just a 1-3 on the other side <laughs> that, they, that just beats them all.
1: Yeah, the and the fact that the 1-3 does, it feel like it does just beat them a lot, you know, makes the plan for the white deck so simple. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, playing four to battle the Honor Guards, and then some number of Ajani's, whose pretty much sole purpose in that matchup is to get back the Honor yeah. Guards that have been cast down or whatever it's it's this weird world that we're living in where uh, somehow Black Green has has figured out a way to be the only deck in standard right now that has specific hate cards that work against it. It feels like it's the opposite of what's always true. Right. Like, Black Green is the deck that nobody can hate out. Right. But, but now it's, like, the deck that people can hate out. Good old rock, nothing <laughs> beats rock. But yeah, nothing oh, beats rock. God, except for it's a <laughs> card. <laughs> yeah. I mean...
0: It is weird looking at this top 32, though. It's hard to construct a real narrative of what happened here. Because it's all Jeskai and Golgari. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mono white... A little bit here and there. A little bit. But it's not because of, like, ooh, mono red came and took over this tournament. There's, you know, only a couple of mono red decks. I mean, it may just be because people have tuned their decks pretty reasonably to attack these mono white decks. I mean, just lots of wild growth walkers, lots of golden demises and sideboards. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting to the point where you got to have a pretty good draw to to take these decks out. Even with, even though, Takali Honor Guard does make some of these post war games like,
2: yeah,
1: look sure. look completely lopsided. I think at the end of the day, the mono white decks and Drakes and green black and even probably Jeskai as well as a control deck mm-hmm. are all. Reasonably comparable in power level in standard right now, which is awesome. it's, yeah. it's great that we have those all of those decks that That's, are. This is why we're just talking about standard very, again. A very reasonable choice. Yeah. yeah, and and so it makes sense to me for me to see like pretty much all of those archetypes except for like a little hindered, mono white having success at the Grand Prix just because the mono white decks are the the decks that you know top forward the the Pro Tour and mm-hmm. people are a little more worried about so. Uh, so it makes sense to me to see a top eight full of Is It and Golgari and a little bit of Mono White, just because it's still inherently very powerful, but it's more targeted than those other decks right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If we look at the like the Magic Online PTQ, the the decks that did well, like it's it's a much more even spread that really is more like, you know, like all these decks are playable, really. Yeah. There's a, there's a much heavier lean towards is uh, it there's a lot of arc light phoenixes arc light phoenix decks that did well but also you know jeskai won the thing and there's there's plenty of golgari uh, the is it decks that you'll see like if somebody just plays a, a steam vents and you're pretty sure they're not on jeskai for whatever reason then the build I think you can assume they're on is Owen Turnwald's list yeah. that he posted. That's that's what most people seem to have picked up, and this has like one main deck blink of an eye and a Murari conjecture, which is a pretty pretty sweet, like grindy plan. I personally have felt that it's kind of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I would kinda just rather play Murmuring Mystic in those slots, because sure. Murmuring Mystic outgrinds a lot of what <laughs> yeah. other people are doing. Uh, yeah, for sure. I've I've had opponents with like Carnage Tyrants and Guys and stuff and planeswalkers in play, and I just Make a million birds, and you know, yeah. trade six of them for a Carnage Tyrant, and then right. kill the Planeswalkers with the other ones. <laughs> yeah. like, you don't need Mari. If you conjecture. have enough birds, then you're going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I I know at one point Lee played a Murmuring Mystic. His opponent attacked with Carnage Tyrant. He just cast Dive Down on his Murmuring Mystic to, <laughs> to block the to Carnage get a token Tyrant. And block, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> amazing,
0: yeah. So, I don't know. Just, like, that card is, has really impressed me. I don't think it's, like, a super high raw power level card or anything like that. But in this metagame right now, it just does a lot of work. It fills a lot of the gaps. It, it really does help against the mono white deck. Like, when you draw a hand with that in it, then you know you have a plan. You know, I, I, I played against our, our friend Jeremy Henry, and I had that plan. But then he put plus one, plus one counters on both of his vanguards, <laughs> and fortunes are a lot harder to deal with with birds than <laughs> ones
1: Yes, that is fair.
0: Like, if I could have forced him to pay 4 life every time he attacked with those, he just yeah. wouldn't have had attacks. Right. But instead, he got to attack with 4 creatures every turn. Yeah. Which yeah. is just another point, I think, in venerated Loxodon's favor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, Even if I removed it, the creatures are still huge and, and impossible to deal with.
1: Yeah, the games so frequently come down to creature sizing that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah... For sure, I think that it, it makes a huge difference. Yep. For, as far as, far as murmuring mystic goes, <laughs> I think that it's finally we it's finally that we're seeing that effect, but it feels appropriately costed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on like a one five body, which is well positioned in the format. Yep. Um, but you know, four mana for that effect seems reasonable. It's not like you know, it's not like we're spending two mana on this thing that makes a million creatures, or whatever.
0: Young pyromancer, um, right now would be the most insane oh yeah it
1: would be busted It would be completely broken yeah but having a young pyromancer that is more powerful because it the mm-hmm. body is better and the creatures that it makes are better yep at a higher cost feels really appropriate right now yeah it does um you know murderistic definitely doesn't feel like a this like oppressive entity at all like other similar cards that have existed um in mm-hmm. the past the one that immediately comes to mind is what World of Virtuoso. Sure. That card at three mana that could, you know, make pretty much just as many one one flyers. <laughs> at three mana I think was too cheap. But now at four mana it seems very reasonable. Yep. So that's it's just kinda cool to see.
0: Yeah, and that five toughness breakpoint again, like that's one of the reasons that you want more Aurelias. That's one of the reasons that Murmuring Mystic really does a good job. I I just I, I can't say enough good things about that card.
1: Yeah absolutely Uh, the
0: the format could easily get to a place where it's not where you want to be anymore but yeah 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 but i've i've really been happy with it mono red kind of i just gotta say i'm not happy playing it
1: yeah i've been been relatively underwhelmed with the mono red deck i think that it's just even though it has cards that line up well against mono white Mm -hmm. and people believe that like the mono red versus mono white matchup is pretty skewed just because of Chain Whirler. Mm-hmm. I just think that their deck is fundamentally less powerful than the mono white builds. Yep. The mono white builds still have access to up to four Experimental Frenzy if mm-hmm. you need it. You know, so like I, I played four Experimental Frenzy in my sideboard for for the PPTQ, and I I just like having access to that card. Yep. Some of the some of the postboard matchups, I'm like, wow, I probably can't win this matchup post-board because they have so much interaction for me. So I'm just going to try to experimental frenzy him out, you know? (laughs) Yep. And so the fact that the mono-white decks also have access to that because the splash is pretty free means that now there's, like, no... There's just no element of the mono-red deck that makes me want to play it over this mono-white deck.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really just Chain Whirler. And that's only really good in the mono-white matchup. So, you know, if you're playing mono-white, like the mono-white matchup isn't going to be a bad one. It's just going to be an even one anyways. And meanwhile, like, you're doing more powerful things for fighting other people, too. I just, I know, like, I've heard, you know, like, Jerry talking about building the mono-red deck and how to use it to, you know, the things you have to do to it in order to survive, like, a very Golgari-heavy metagame. And so you need to be, like, main decking a bunch of lava coils to deal with wild growth walkers. And you just need to be doing all of these things to your deck that kind of (laughs) suck yeah honestly (laughs) yeah and and it's all to allow yourself to play chain whirler against the mono white decks and i think to me especially looking at the relative amount of success the mono white decks are having like it's there but it's not worth playing a deck just because there's one deck that chain whirler is real good against
1: yeah absolutely yeah, I mean, you're if if your reason to play the sec is because you think you're going to beat up on the mono white decks, right now is the worst time to do that. Yeah, because that's just, true. You know, just look at the top eight of the Grand Prix. It was a bunch of Golgari and Is it um, and Jeskai decks, and then you know like one mono white deck. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe the format rotates again uh, to where mono white is you know the most popular once more. But you know, even then, I just think that yeah, you're just a worse version of the mono white deck.
0: Yeah, kind of, I like, and a lot of these burn spells just don't feel super effective. Uh, you know, going to the face with Wizards Lightning when people have Wild Earthwalkers is...
1: Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> it feels... it's just
0: not... Like, shuffling up, there's just a lot of things that you hope don't happen, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not really a place I want to be. But yeah, for sure. Agreed. I We have seen Selesnya uh, Tokens have, like, a little kind of resurgence here. I, I know uh, Nick Prince won the Classic with Selesnya Tokens. Uh, we saw it, I believe, in the top eight of the uh, team event in Vegas. Yeah, um, Zach
1: uh, Keeney yeah. made the finals with it.
0: Yeah. If you want to play Chain Whirlers to beat up on white little white creatures,
1: <laughs> honestly,
0: I think playing Sapling Migration to do that is probably just a better plan. <laughs> You know, there's just a lot more tools to the Selesnya deck, and you get to run busted cards like History of Benalia,
1: and it's a it's the best Venerated locks it on deck too. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. Honestly, I think that Selesnya might be doing the things that I like out of the uh, the mono white deck, mm-hmm. but just a little a better and a little bigger and a little better in, mm-hmm. in whatever context. Because the the ways that the mono white deck win the majority of the time are just like having bigger and bigger creatures and more of them faster mm-hmm. than you can than your opponent can can produce yeah. right and then that just translates into you know you turn them sideways a couple of times and you win mm-hmm. but the the game is about creating the board state where your board is just significantly larger than your opponent's board yeah and selesnia is king at that you know right. They're they're really good at making a huge board state, and <laughs> and I don't think that mono white could ever beat just like a large march the multitudes yeah. in a million years yeah. if, you know if I'm like all right this is it I'm attacking with all my creatures and you're like all right march for six or whatever I'm just <laughs> jump all my guys and then I'm probably dead <laughs> on the crackback you know so so that's pretty brutal yeah um, I mean
0: it like Celestia does have serious problems with just like the speed at which it can play the
1: cards out of its hand. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah yeah. That's that's definitely one of the down, downsides. And you can you can fall behind pretty significantly if you're if on turn 2 I have like three creatures out and then on turn 2 you like play your first guy. Yeah. And then yeah. That's rough.
0: And it's just it is more to me it's more vulnerable to sweepers than the mono white deck because the mono white deck says have this sweeper and the untapped mana for it on time or right. you die. Yeah, yeah So Lesnia's is yeah. like draw it within this span of turns and you'll (laughs) get me yeah 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 um and so that's less like you know less threatening at least Mm -hmm. like the pump from history of benelia even if it's just hitting the two whites out of the mono white deck it's like oh god how am i dealing with this without taking too much damage out of the (laughs) selesnia deck it's like all right we'll you know we'll block
1: here we'll take this damage here we'll or even just like all right we'll take eight yeah you know and, and try to maintain our board state yeah um Right, right. No flying creatures
0: are coming at me out of this thing, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just wait until we get some flying knights, and then, and then we'll be talking. Oh, we played some flying knights on stream. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. We gotta get we gotta get knight of Cersei back into standard
1: flying oh, flanking. You know, man. <laughs> flanking that classic. You know, yeah. reprintable keyword, for sure. Right. Whenever this creature is destroyed, regenerate it, just as text. Oh, that's a nice like, one, too. Yeah. <laughs> on a card. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> for those who have no idea what we're talking about, we... <laughs> Chris and I, on stream last, yesterday, we drafted some flashback... Time Spiral, was it? Time Spiral block, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a set that existed before I, you know, even thought about Magic, so I was... I was very uh, into learning what all these strange old cards did. And Chris was very happy to teach me about them all.
0: Well, every one. Like, we'd look at the board state. Collins would parse the board state. And then I'd be like, well these two cards have these
1: extra abilities that you just had no idea that they Cause every,
0: every card in that set does like three different things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, this card can spend a red mana to, to regenerate. And I'm like, hang on. <laughs> I have many questions or, or like spend a white mana to give it protection from red randomly. Yeah. So yeah,
0: I think it was thick skin goblin that can, you can pay a red to give it pro red. So we didn't attack with our tokens into the two. One. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but there is also, like, one of the time-shifted cards is Aaron the Relentless, which just has red, 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 regenerate this creature. Like, this insane <laughs> stuff exists in that format, so...
1: Yeah, things things I'm definitely not looking for on my first pass of a board state, so...
0: Right, right. yeah. But it was really fun. Like, I, I'm looking forward to doing that again, and...
1: Uh, yeah. Next time we stream, we're going to make sure that we... Uh, we got a couple things wrong this time. Yep. Uh, we didn't do it at a very good a convenient time. We were competing with all of the tournaments and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And also, I think that I failed to make it notify my followers that we went live. So if you are following me on Twitch, then I'll, I'll make sure to get those notifications out next time we're, we're going live.
0: Yeah. And yeah, we'll do it like a weeknight uh, next time. I mean, this is just kind of what worked out for us scheduling-wise, but we'll try to plan yeah. it out a little farther in advance. And I mean, it was still really fun and people showed up and you know, even Brad Nelson was there for a minute to, <laughs> yeah. so, to continue daggering
1: to continue question? daggering. I don't, <laughs> I still don't understand. But it was fun.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but we will definitely be doing it again, hopefully pretty soon, but we just got to hit that next, next Patreon support Mark and yeah. then we'll, we'll yeah, get yeah, up yeah. there again.
1: should be fun.
0: Yeah. So that's standard stuff. I wanted to take a minute to talk about, the Magic Online announcements, because we kind of didn't cover them last week because we were too busy talking about the PT. Yes. Um, but so just to sum up for anybody who has kind of missed this, they're kind of revamping the whole mocks system. And most of it is still kind of staying in place. But m- what's happening here really is that the weekly format challenges mm-hmm. are going to be included in the system. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of details that you can find out exactly how it works. But it's basically that... Format challenges give you points for these higher tier format events that can qualify you for the mocks, mm-hmm. um, and they can also qualify you for these big format championships. And there's basically there's there's more money, there's more. I mean, maybe not money, but but Magic Online prizes. There's a significant number of Magic Online prizes uh, on the line here, as well as Pro Tour qualifications. Like effectively, I believe you can go to the Pro Tour now just by winning a lot at Popper nice yeah so (laughs) that's awesome like really cool i mean my initial impression is just like this is great it is an embrace of the the few advantages that magic online has over arena which is basically that it has old cards on it yeah um and it's saying like here's why it exists we can cube weird formats we can play flashback drafts and you can play like full Magic the Gathering popper mm-hmm. and modern and vintage and legacy here. And yeah. we're going to say if you do that and you're good enough at it, you can even go to the Pro Tour because of it. Yeah. Uh, like I'm I'm hugely in favor of this. I, I spent a couple of hours yesterday, like putting together my whole Magic schedule for the next, <laughs> like making sure that I just had all of the Magic Online events and GPs yeah. and SCG stuff uh, in like one place so I could look at it when calendaring. Yeah. yeah. But I'm psyched.
1: Yeah, I mean that should be awesome. I um I'm qualified for one of the Mox playoffs mm-hmm. that's coming up. I think in like February or something. Yeah, or maybe I, I I'll have to double check my calendar. But but I'm pretty excited about that as as just like a, an event that I'm gonna be happy to play in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's awesome to see like more more avenues of you know qualifying through different. Yeah, different formats and stuff, and I'm I'm sure that it's going to make me want to be a little more invested in making sure that I'm keeping up with like the the events that are happening on Magic Online.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that is a one thing. Like I put in a bunch of work, like getting my schedule together, so that I wouldn't. So I, you know, I'm I'm gonna miss some of these for sure because you can't just you just can't play all of them. Mm-hmm. But I want to miss them because I've chosen not to play in them, and not because I've just completely forgotten that. This yeah, thing is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like like I need to play in the monthly mocks this weekend and the next weekend, <laughs> or I'm just going to loot like I'm just leaving QPs on the table. If right. I do that, if yeah. I don't, if I don't play in both of them, cause I keep forgetting to play in monthly box. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So I would like to see some sort of better system for, and, and I don't know what it is. If it's just like making sure to tweet it out and making people realize it, or like pushing announcements through the, the magic online client or what, but, it, it like the Mox has been a thing that like exists and I'm aware of it, but I really like it doesn't make itself like a presence in my Magic Online experience unless I choose to engage with it like really actively. Um, yeah, and I don't really know how they fix that, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, just pretty cool. You know, we're gonna we're about to get a big Popper shakeup, I think.
1: So yeah, I was I was about to say, speaking of Popper, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i feel like i it was it on the car ride or was it on the podcast where i was talking about the card fire ice and i was like this is just not a card that they're willing to print anymore yeah mana denial that comes with like you know card advantage like you know just the the sequence of turn two uh in your upkeep tap your land draw card yeah It's just not a card that should exist in Magic.
0: Like, I get to skip my second turn to make you skip your second turn. Like, the fact that I get to make that decision in deck construction and game... Like, that's just really frustrating to play against.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention that it comes stapled to a Fork Bolt for two mana. is crazy. And because... I don't know if anybody's played Popper recently, but the deck, or the format is entirely consists of X1s. It's just X1s everywhere, and everybody's playing a ton of X1s, and some people's X1s are like value creatures that come into play and counter things, or, but other people's X1s are just like, you know, elves, and and they're trying to win that way, but it it feels like every deck in in, in Popper has a bunch of X1s. Yeah. So... Printing ice, which is just a messed up magic card in my opinion, next to a forked bolt that it now exists.
0: In a format where Blue Red Delver is already probably yeah, the best right, deck. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm just, I'm, I'm a little salty. Um, and then what was the other card that they printed? Foil. They printed foil, and Gush exists in Popper. Yep.
0: I don't know. What are they doing? Foil is one of those cards that... Kind of, your deck needs to be doing a very powerful thing in order to leverage it. And I'm not sure that the things that you are capable of doing in Popper are at that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like Gush into Foil, like if you've already got the board, then Gush into Foil is just completely ridiculous. Yeah. But not you know maybe not enough to be like really oppressive because like foil is just a blank in the early turns of the game yeah i don't know i i think it'll just be pretty interesting you know every time they print one of these master sets it does cool things to popper um that i mostly just like watch from the outside because (laughs)
1: like i I, I don't have time to play all of these formats i would like to play some popper but and also playing popper is a huge time investment because (laughs) each game you play is a headache because we're trying to beat each other over with a bunch of one ones and the rest of our deck is like ponders and and brainstorms and one ones the format so mnemonic walls the games never end (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy
0: yeah, yeah, it is definitely the grindiest format that I have ever played. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it is interesting and fun, but yeah, and especially like given the importance of what's it called the monarch to to the format. No, we're just like fifty yeah. percent of the games end up with like somebody plays a monarch creature, and now it's all about like. Trying to get getting, this crown. Get those
1: attacks in.
0: <laughs> and then e- even if everybody's doing it, even if it's like, okay, we're really engaging it, then that's a game where each player is drawing two cards a turn. Yeah. And so there's just so many decisions and so much grinding there that
1: the, the game ends up taking a long time. <laughs> yeah. I hope whoever qualifies for the Pro Tour through Popper. Just wins the Pro Tour. They're like, wow, the regular magic is easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get to play cards like Nude, yeah. Mizzet, and Teferi. Yeah, this that... card
1: just ends the game right now. Oh I... <laughs> Normally when I play my bomb, it's going to take six turns to <laughs> kill them. <laughs>
0: well, to be fair, Gurmag Angler is in Bobber. So uh, yeah. okay. every yeah. once in a while, yeah. you get to kill your opponent. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. But, um, but yeah, it's it's funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Popper is... I know, you know, we, we only played three matches with the Drake's deck when we were streaming. Yeah. Because yeah, by yeah. the end of the third one, we were just like, all right, too hard. <laughs> too much work. Like, two-headed gianting this is, like, very difficult. Yes, Let's play yeah. some Time Spiral again.
1: <laughs> Chris and I have having different opinions about what to do with the Drake's deck made for some some interesting games. But
0: I, I mean, yeah, really... I was mostly just screwing up your lines by, like... Oh, no, I mean... <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's it's I think it's such a uh, it speaks to how much Magic the Gathering is a game plan oriented game mm-hmm. when two people with like differing game plans are like you know talking about what they would do it just kind of speaks how like the individual sequencing it, it does matter a lot but having that like overall game plan and like sticking to it is so important to everybody's success in Magic yep um, and that's sometimes something that's overlooked a lot of the time. Some people, you know I, I think that I definitely had a level up moment when I realized that magic was a game about game plans, and that's why the, the the strategy and tactics that I started trying to improve on instead of just like my individual turn-by-turn sequencing. Mm-hmm. So I think discovering that and and really kind of like having that demonstrated by the fact that we had two different game plans, which probably you know, could have individually on their own worked just as well as each other. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they were, like, conflicting, if you're ever playing with conflicting game plans in mind, you're going to suffer pretty severely, I think. Definitely. um,
0: And in Standard in particular, like, one of those big points, like, in determining your game plan, like, one of the huge things is when do we turn around and start killing our opponent? Mm -hmm. Um, That Like, a bunch of decks in the format just have a turnaround point Like, Crackling Drake is a very, you know, the the Phoenix deck is a very, like, fairies-esque deck. Um, And Jeskai with these creatures in it is kind of similar, especially, like, Crackling Drake having 10 power, you know, that becomes a real part of the plan. And a big part of this format is figuring out your game plan, choosing, like, what turn a couple turns in advance is going to probably be the right time to start attacking. Yeah. And one of the big things is also, like, understanding when your opponent is going to want to do that. Um, like, I've won games, I know i won at least one game in the PPTQ where my opponent on Green Black didn't really understand when I could turn around and start killing them. Like, I specifically wasn't discarding Phoenixes mm-hmm. because of the possibility of Death Gorge Scavenger, okay. um, and then I just had a turn where I put two Phoenixes into play and started attacking.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and that was a turn after he had topped a Carnage Tyrant <laughs> when he yeah. already had a Carnage Tyrant in his hand oh. because he thought that this was a game that was going to go a little bit longer and he right. wanted threats that I couldn't deal with.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But because, you know, I saw the Carnage Tyrant and so <laughs> I thought, all right, let's race because I know you have a card in your hand that won't be relevant. It's going to be two more turns before you can cast it and three more turns before it affects the game. Yeah, yeah. So let's turn this game into one where like that Carnage Tyrant isn't going to be relevant. And I got very lucky because he also just had another one in his hand. So the plan was doubly <laughs> right. good against that. But because uh, the it turned out that the game was one about me turning the corner as quickly as possible, and my opponent had a different con- conceptualization of the game in mind, that yeah. became a very dangerous spot for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, same thing with what we saw that one game that Adrian Sullivan played where. His opponent just like was presenting lethal multiple times and really backed the Adrian into a corner. Adrian plays the the Niv mizzet and it it wouldn't have done enough to stop that Carnage Tyrant from killing him, mm-hmm. but it just turned out the Niv mizzet turned the corner because explosion is just X deal X damage <laughs> yeah, with <laughs> Niv mizzet right. into play. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. X plus one even. <laughs> so times
1: yeah. Two X plus one, I think, is the the damage that that, that card deals. With. But,
0: well so it's all of your lands plus one basically is, is the amount of damage. You get the trigger oh, and then right. you, you get yeah. So Yeah, yeah. Or I guess it's it's more than that. I mean it's it's more complicated math. He he did it for X equals four, so it was just like eight plus <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot of damage, basically. Right. When when his opponent has Lano or Elves in play, And he casts the dive down and deals the damage to his opponent's face with the trigger. That's when you know that something is up.
2: (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, no.
0: So, yeah, I mean, like, definitely, if I were to give, like, one piece of, like, this is... This has been really important for me, trying to figure out how to play this format, is, like, figure out when the person on the defensive is going to try to be the person ending the game. Sure, um, yeah. And make sure that you're aware of that possibility.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, then I guess we'll call that a show. We will be talking probably some about modern next week because Baltimore will be right after that. Yeah.
1: Focus is definitely going to shift for us a little bit towards modern. I know that I'm going up to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can make it.
0: I'm going to be skipping that one because I have a couple of family things. And there's also multiple good magic online things that i should play in to make up for not being in baltimore (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah for sure it's a good other option yeah
0: so it'll be okay um i i I wish i were going to baltimore but it just worked out so that this is a little better for me but after the Invitational, i'm gonna try to make sure that i'm going to as many things as i can to start putting the putting a package of points together so yeah 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 absolutely that'll be the goal although putting my schedule together boy season one it's a little bit rough location-wise.
1: Yeah, it's not the best.
0: There's just um, a lot of Syracuse and... A
1: lot of a lot of like 7 to 10 hour yeah. <laughs> trips.
0: And the one sure. standard open being in Dallas is not... Yeah. Like, it's, it's definitely the one I want to go to the most mm-hmm. because I really want to play a standard open. Yeah, well, yeah. But, you it's know... It's going to
1: require a plane ticket. Yeah,
0: I can't drive to Dallas for sure. Yeah. But I'll do my best. we will try to make it to <laughs> as many as we can.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: Cool. Well, awesome. Uh, I think that's it for us. Um, Thanks to everybody so much for listening. Uh, If you want to find us online, you can check us out at mtggrindcast.com. You can also find our Patreon there or at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, You can find Collins's coaching services. If you want some one-on-one time, find the link to that on our website. And if you want to find us on Twitter, hit us up. I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks again so much for listening. And have a great week. Peace.